Chapter Four of the Oregon Trail. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman, Jr. Chapter Four. Jumping off. The reader need not be told that John Bull never leaves home without encumbering himself with the greatest possible load of luggage. Our companions were no exception to the rule. They had a wagon drawn by six mules and crammed with provisions for six months, besides ammunition enough for a regiment, spare rifles and fowling pieces, ropes and harness, personal baggage, and a miscellaneous assortment of articles which produced infinite embarrassment on the journey. They had also decorated their persons with telescopes and portable compasses, and carried English double-barreled rifles of sixteen to the pound caliber, slung to their saddles in dragoon fashion. By sunrise on the 23rd of May we had breakfasted, the tents were leveled, the animals saddled and harnessed, and all was prepared. "'Avance donc! Get up!' cried Delorier from his seat in front of the cart. Wright, our friend's muleteer, after some swearing and lashing, got his insubordinate train in motion, and then the whole party filed from the ground. Thus we bade a long adieu to bed and board, and the principles of Blackstone's commentaries. The day was a most auspicious one, and yet Shaw and I felt certain misgivings, which in the sequel proved but too well founded. We had just learned that though R. had taken it upon him to adopt this course without consulting us, not a single man in the party was acquainted with it, and the absurdity of our friend's high-handed measure very soon became manifest. His plan was to strike the trail of several companies of dragoons, who last summer had made an expedition under Colonel Kearney to Fort Laramie, and by this means to reach the grand trail of the Oregon emigrants up the Platte. We rode for an hour or two when a familiar cluster of buildings appeared on a little hill. Hello! shouted the Kickapoo trader from over his fence. Where are you going? A few rather emphatic exclamations might have been heard among us when we found that we had gone miles out of our way and were not advanced an inch toward the Rocky Mountains. So we turned in the direction the trader indicated, and with the sun for a guide, began to trace a bee-line across the prairies. We struggled through copses and lines of wood. We waded brooks and pools of water. We traversed prairies as green as an emerald, expanding before us for mile after mile, wider and more wild than the wastes Mazeppa rode over. Man nor brute nor dint of hoof nor print of foot lay in the wild luxuriant soil, no sign of travel, none of toil, the very air was mute. Riding in advance, we passed over one of these great plains. We looked back and saw the line of scattered horsemen stretching for a mile or more, and far in the rear against the horizon, the white wagons creeping slowly along. "'Here we are at last!' shouted the captain. And in truth, we had struck upon the traces of a large body of horse. We turned joyfully and followed this new course with tempers somewhat improved and toward sunset encamped on a high swell of the prairie, at the foot of which a lazy stream soaked along through clumps of rank grass. It was getting dark. We turned the horses loose to feed. "'Drive down the tent pickets hard,' said Henry Chatillon. "'It is going to blow.' We did so, and secured the tent as well as we could, for the sky had changed totally, and a fresh damp smell in the wind warned us that a stormy night was likely to succeed the hot clear day. 
the prairie also wore a new aspect and its vast swells had grown black and somber under the shadow of the clouds the thunder soon began to growl at a distance picketing and hobbling the horses among the rich grass at the foot of the slope where we encamped we gained a shelter just as the rain began to fall and sat at the opening of the tent watching the proceedings of the captain in defiance of the rain he was stalking among the horses wrapped in an old scotch plaid an extreme solicitude tormented him lest some of his favorites should escape or some accident should befall them and he cast an anxious eye toward three wolves who were sneaking along over the dreary surface of the plain as if he dreaded some hostile demonstration on their part on the next morning we had gone but a mile or two when we came to an extensive belt of woods through the midst of which ran a stream wide deep and of an appearance particularly muddy and treacherous delorier was in advance with his cart he jerked his pipe from his mouth lashed his mules and poured forth a volley of canadian ejaculations in plunged the cart but midway it stuck fast delorier leaped out knee-deep in water and by dint of sacre and a vigorous application of the whip he urged the mules out of the slough then approached the long team and heavy wagon of our friends but it paused on the brink now my advice is began the captain who had been anxiously contemplating the muddy gulf drive on cried r but right the muleteer apparently had not as yet decided the point in his own mind and he sat still in his seat on one of the shaft mules whistling in a low contemplative strain to himself my advice is resumed the captain that we unload for i'll bet any man five pounds that if we try to go through we shall stick fast by the powers we shall stick fast echoed jack the captain's brother shaking his large head with an air of firm conviction drive on drive on cried r petulantly well observed the captain turning to us as we sat looking on much edified by this play-by-play -play among our confederates i can only give my advice and if people won't be reasonable why they won't that's all meanwhile wright had apparently made up his mind for he suddenly began to shout forth a volley of oaths and curses that compared with the french imprecations of delorier sounded like the roaring of heavy cannon after the popping and sputtering of a bunch of chinese crackers at the same time he discharged a shower of blows upon his mules who hastily dived into the mud and drew the wagon lumbering after them for a moment the issue was dubious wright writhed about in his saddle and swore and lashed like a madman but who can count on a team of half-broken mules at the most critical point when all should have been harmony and combined effort the perverse brutes fell into lamentable disorder and huddled together in confusion on the farther bank there was the wagon up to the hub in mud and visibly settling every instant there was nothing for it but to unload then to dig away the mud from before the wheels with a spade and lay a causeway of bushes and branches this agreeable labor accomplished the wagon at last emerged but if i mention that some interruption of this sort occurred at least four or five times a day for a fortnight the reader will understand that our progress toward the platte was not without its obstacles we traveled six or seven miles farther and nooned near a brook 
on the point of resuming our journey when the horses were all driven down to water my homesick charger pontiac made a sudden leap across and set off at a round trot for the settlements i mounted my remaining horse and started in pursuit making a circuit i headed the runaway hoping to drive him back to camp but he instantly broke into a gallop made a wide tour on the prairie and got past me again i tried this plan repeatedly with the same result pontiac was evidently disgusted with the prairie so i abandoned it and tried another trotting along gently behind him in hopes that i might quietly get near enough to seize the trail rope which was fastened to his neck and dragged about a dozen feet behind him the chase grew interesting for mile after mile i followed the rascal with the utmost care not to alarm him and gradually got nearer until at length old hendrick's nose was fairly brushed by the whisking tail of the unsuspecting pontiac without drawing rein i slid softly to the ground but my long heavy rifle encumbered me and the low sound it made in striking the horn of the saddle startled him he pricked up his ears and sprang off at a run my friend thought i remounting do that again and i will shoot you fort leavenworth was about forty miles distant and thither i determined to follow him i made up my mind to spend a solitary and supperless night and then set out again in the morning one hope however remained the creek where the wagon had stuck was just before us pontiac might be thirsty with his run and stop there to drink i kept as near to him as possible taking every precaution not to alarm him again and the result proved as i had hoped for he walked deliberately among the trees and stooped down to the water i alighted dragged old hendrick through the mud and with a feeling of infinite satisfaction picked up the slimy trail rope and twisted it three times round my hand now let me see you get away again i thought as i remounted but pontiac was exceedingly reluctant to turn back hendrick too who had evidently flattered himself with vain hopes showed the utmost repugnance and grumbled in a manner peculiar to himself at being compelled to face about a smart cut of the whip restored his cheerfulness and dragging the recovered truant behind i set out in search of the camp an hour or two elapsed when near sunset i saw the tents standing on a rich swell of the prairie beyond a line of woods while the bands of horses were feeding in a low meadow close at hand there sat jack c cross-legged in the sun splicing a trail rope and the rest were lying on the grass smoking and telling stories that night we enjoyed a serenade from the wolves more lively than any with which they had yet favored us and in the morning one of the musicians appeared not many rods from the tents quietly seated among the horses looking at us with a pair of large gray eyes but perceiving a rifle leveled at him he leaped up and made off in hot haste i passed by the following day or two of our journey for nothing occurred worthy of record should any one of my readers ever be impelled to visit the prairies and should he choose the route of the platte the best perhaps that can be adopted I can assure him that he need not think to enter at once upon the paradise of his imagination. A dreary, preliminary, protracted crossing of the threshold awaits him before he finds himself fairly upon the verge of the great American desert, those barren wastes, the haunts of the buffalo and the Indian, where the very shadow of civilization lies a hundred leagues behind him. 
the intervening country the wide and fertile belt that extends for several hundred miles beyond the extreme frontier will probably answer tolerably well to his preconceived ideas of the prairie for this it is from which picturesque tourists painters poets and novelists who have seldom penetrated farther have derived their conceptions of the whole region if he has a painter's eye he may find his period of probation not wholly void of interest the scenery though tame is graceful and pleasing here are level plains too wide for the eye to measure green undulations like motionless swells of the ocean abundance of streams followed through all their windings by lines of woods and scattered groves but let him be as enthusiastic as he may he will find enough to damp his ardour his wagons will stick in the mud his horses will break loose harness will give way and axle-trees prove unsound his bed will be a soft one consisting often of black mud of the richest consistency as for food he must content himself with biscuit and salt provisions for strange as it may seem this tract of country produces very little game as he advances indeed he will see mouldering in the grass by his path the vast antlers of the elk and farther on the whitened skulls of the buffalo once swarming over this now deserted region perhaps like us he may journey for a fortnight and see not so much as the hoof-print of a deer in the spring not even a prairie hen is to be had yet to compensate him for this unlooked-for deficiency of game he will find himself beset with varmints innumerable the wolves will entertain him with a concerto at night and skulk around him by day just beyond rifle-shot his horse will step into badger-holes from every marsh and mud-puddle will arise the bellowing croaking and trilling of legions of frogs infinitely various in colour shape and dimensions a profusion of snakes will glide away from under his horse's feet or quietly visit him in his tent at night while the pertinacious humming of unnumbered mosquitoes will banish sleep from his eyelids when thirsty with a long ride in the scorching sun over some boundless reach of prairie he comes at length to a pool of water and alights to drink he discovers a troop of young tadpoles sporting in the bottom of his cup add to this that all the morning the hot sun beats upon him with sultry penetrating heat and that with provoking regularity at about four o'clock in the afternoon a thunderstorm rises and drenches him to the skin such being the charms of this favoured region the reader will easily conceive the extent of our gratification at learning that for a week we had been journeying on the wrong track how this agreeable discovery was made i will presently explain one day after a protracted morning's ride we stopped to rest at noon upon the open prairie no trees were in sight but close at hand a little dribbling brook was twisting from side to side through a hollow now forming holes of stagnant water and now gliding over the mud in a scarcely perceptible current among a growth of sickly bushes and great clumps of tall rank grass the day was excessively hot and oppressive the horses and mules were rolling on the prairie to refresh themselves or feeding among the bushes in the hollow we had dined and delorier puffing at his pipe knelt on the grass scrubbing our service of tin plate shaw lay in the shade under the cart to rest for a while before the word should be given to catch up 
Henry Chatillon, before lying down, was looking about for signs of snakes, the only living things that he feared, and uttering various ejaculations of disgust at finding several suspicious-looking holes close to the cart. I sat leaning against the wheel in a scanty strip of shade, making a pair of hobbles to replace those which my contumacious steed Pontiac had broken the night before. The camp of our friends, a rod or two distant, presented the same scene of lazy tranquillity. "'Hello!' cried Henry, looking up from his inspection of the snake-holes. "'Here comes the old captain!' The captain approached, and stood for a moment, contemplating us in silence. "'I say, Parkman,' he began, "'look at Shaw there, asleep under the cart, with the tar dripping off the hub of the wheel on his shoulder.' At this Shaw got up, with his eyes half-opened, and feeling the part indicated, he found his hand glued fast to his red flannel shirt. "'He'll look well when he gets among the squaws, won't he?' observed the captain with a grin. He then crawled under the cart and began to tell stories of which his stock was inexhaustible. Yet every moment he would glance nervously at the horses. At last he jumped up in great excitement. "'See that horse? There? That fellow just walking over the hill? By Jove, he's off! It's your big horse, Shaw. No, it isn't. It's Jack's. Jack! Jack! Hello, Jack!' Jack, thus invoked, jumped up and stared vacantly at us. "'Go and catch your horse if you don't want to lose him,' roared the captain. Jack instantly set off at a run through the grass, his broad pantaloons flapping about his feet. The captain gazed anxiously till he saw that the horse was caught. Then he sat down with a countenance of thoughtfulness and care. "'I tell you what it is,' he said. "'This will never do at all.' We shall lose every horse in the band some day or other, and then a pretty plight we should be in. Now I am convinced that the only way for us is to have every man in the camp stand horse guard in rotation whenever we stop. Supposing a hundred Pawnees should jump up out of that ravine all yelling and flapping their buffalo robes in the way they do, why in two minutes not a hoof would be in sight. We reminded the captain that a hundred Pawnees would probably demolish the horse guard if he were to resist their depredations. At any rate, pursued the captain, evading the point, our whole system is wrong. I am convinced of it. It is totally unmilitary. Why, the way we travel, strung out over the prairie for a mile, an enemy might attack the foremost men and cut them off before the rest could come up. We are not in an enemy's country yet, said Shaw. When we are, we'll travel together. Then, said the captain, we might be attacked in camp. We've no sentinels. We camp in disorder. No precautions at all to guard against surprise. My own convictions are that we ought to camp in a hollow square with the fires in the center and have sentinels and a regular password appointed for every night. Besides, there should be vedettes riding in advance to find a place for the camp and give warning of an enemy. These are my convictions. I don't want to dictate to any man. I give advice to the best of my judgment, that's all, and then let people do as they please. We intimated that perhaps it would be as well to postpone such burdensome precautions until there should be some actual need of them. But he shook his head dubiously. The captain's sense of military propriety had been severely shocked by what he considered the irregular proceedings of the party, and this was not the first time he had expressed himself upon the subject. But his convictions seldom produced any practical results. 
In the present case he contented himself, as usual, with enlarging on the importance of his suggestions, and wondering that they were not adopted. But his plan of sending out vedettes seemed particularly dear to him, and as no one else was disposed to second his views on this point, he took it into his head to ride forward that afternoon himself. "'Come, Parkman,' said he, "'will you go with me?' We set out together and rode a mile or two in advance. The captain in the course of twenty years' service in the British Army had seen something of life. One extensive side of it, at least, he had enjoyed the best opportunities for studying, and being naturally a pleasant fellow, he was a very entertaining companion. He cracked jokes and told stories for an hour or two, until, looking back, we saw the prairie behind us stretching away to the horizon without a horseman or a wagon in sight. Now, said the captain, I think the vedettes had better stop till the main body comes up. I was of the same opinion. There was a thick growth of woods just before us with a stream running through them. Having crossed this, we found on the other side a fine level meadow half encircled by the trees, and fastening our horses to some bushes, we sat down on the grass, while, with an old stump of a tree for a target, I began to display the superiority of the renowned rifle of the backwoods over the foreign innovation borne by the captain. At length voices could be heard in the distance behind the trees. "'There they come,' said the captain. "'Let's go and see how they get through the creek.' We mounted and rode to the bank of the stream where the trail crossed it. It ran in a deep hollow full of trees. As we looked down, we saw a confused crowd of horsemen riding through the water, and among the dingy habiliment of our party glittered the uniforms of four dragoons. Shaw came whipping his horse up the back in advance of the rest with a somewhat indignant countenance. The first word he spoke was a blessing fervently invoked on the head of R., who was riding with a crestfallen air in the rear. Thanks to the ingenious devices of the gentleman, we had missed the track entirely, and wandered not toward the Platte, but to the village of the Iowa Indians. This we learned from the dragoons, who had lately deserted from Fort Leavenworth. They told us that our best plan now was to keep to the northward until we should strike the trail formed by several parties of Oregon emigrants, who had that season set out from St. Joseph's in Missouri. In extremely bad temper, we encamped on this ill-starred spot, while the deserters, whose case admitted of no delay, rode rapidly forward. On the day following, striking the St. Joseph's Trail, we turned our horses' heads toward Fort Laramie, then about seven hundred miles to the westward. End of chapter 4